Welcome to the weekend message from Mariner's Church in Huntington Beach, California. Whether you are listening across the street or across the globe, we hope you'll find encouragement for your daily life through this podcast. I come into this story sort of halfway through it, and Lo, you've been here since the beginning of this beginning story. Of beginning of time. Yes, and I just wanted to ask, how many of you were meeting in Huntington Beach previously before we went back to Irvine. How many of those are you? Okay, a lot of you have made it through, well done, and we're well so done. excited. They're your peeps. Hey, this them. They're, you hear me say peeps? Ones. That's because I'm cool. That's what cool people if say, that's peeps. that's what you're calling it, that's cool about it. as cool as I get. <laughs> and, uh, but a lot of you did not raise your hand, and I want to say we are thrilled that you're here because we don't want to only be here for the people that have sort of gone on the journey. But for those of you that are looking for a new church home or are here for the first time, so we're very excited that you're here. And incidentally, just for those of us that didn't live in any of the zip codes, you said, how many of you live in a zip code that wasn't mentioned? Woo! Yeah! Well, we'll get to know you too. Okay, thank you. (laughs) We're not opposed to that. I appreciate it. All right, thanks, man. All right, well, hey, I want to answer a really basic question today. And that is, why are we even starting a church? Uh, There are a lot of churches in Huntington Beach and Fountain Valley and Westminster and Garden Grove and Seal Beach. There's plenty of churches. And so the question really comes up, why would we even start one? Why would we have a new one? What are we trying to do here? And uh, we're going to talk about that today. And actually for this series, we're going to do a five-week series to kick us off. And we're basically going to talk about why are we a church and what's our church about? What are we doing here? And I hope you'll sign on for the whole series. And that will lead us kind of up to Easter, and then we'll have a very cool Easter thing, and uh, it will be good. We'll have kind of a good time. Now, let me ask you this question. What do you think of when you think of church? What, do you, what pops into your mind? Uh, I was not raised gro- uh, going to church. I, we were a very unchurched family. And so... I'll tell you what I thought of for probably like the first 15 years of my life when I thought of church. It was a little poem that I had learned when I was young. And it went, here is the church, here is the steeple. Open the door and see all the people. Yeah, that was about my church experience. So what I knew about church is there was a building, uh, there was a steeple on the building, there were doors in and out of the building, and occasionally there were people in the building. And that's what I kind of knew church to be. Uh, I didn't really have much of a thought any other way. I had talked to friends. You know, I sort of knew people that went to church, and they rarely talked about their church. It seemed like it was just something that they did maybe on the weekend, you know, and and it was sort of what their family did and all those kinds of things. Maybe that's kind of what you think about if you're raised like I was. Uh, For others of you, you may say, no, I I was that family that went to church. My parents, you know, sort of took me to church and... We did the whole church thing, and, you know, and, and maybe it was a great experience for you. Maybe it was, you know, you had a drug problem, you were drugged to church, and, you know, it was just sort of like, whoa. And uh, when you got old enough so you didn't need to go to church, you didn't go to church anymore. Uh, and, you know, maybe that was sort of your thing. Maybe for you, church is more of an emotion and not so much a thought. Maybe immediately emotions come up. And uh, the church, when you talk about the church, it has sort of a checkered history, right? And so you have things that are not so great, like, you know, inquisitions and crusades and witch trials and things like that. Things that, you know, people sort of go, yeah, that that was not the church's greatest hour. 
And then you have uh, things that are positive. You have hospitals that were built. You have universities that were built. Uh, the church has pretty much always taken the forefront in helping people that need a hand up and do that around the world. And, and so you may sort of think, you know, the church has sort of its, its dirty closet junk, and then it has some really kind of glowing things that are really cool. It's sort of checkered. For some of you, you may think, you know, when I think of church, I think of hypocrite. I think of judgmental. I think of narrow-minded. I think of taking on people with certain lifestyles and basically damning them to hell. You know, I sort of think, I kind of have negative thoughts, I guess, when it comes to church. That's kind of what I think of. And then there would be some of you that would say, no, when I think of church, I think of something that saved my life. Really, literally, just saved, totally turned me around. I think of loving people. I think of hope. I think of truth. I think of setting my life on course. And it's so interesting that in this room, I bet if we were honest and we took the time, people would have all kinds of feelings about what the church is. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit of my church story just to paint a picture of why is there incredible negative thoughts and negative emotions on one side. And for other people, it's incredibly positive on the other side. Uh, As I said, I didn't go to church growing up. And so I was in high school and I was going to play varsity football. I was very excited about doing this. I'd sort of dreamed about playing varsity football. And right before Hell Week, one of the coaches came up to me, and I knew that he was a youth pastor in town, which didn't mean that much to me. He was sort of a loud and obnoxious guy. Uh, and and uh, some of you would say, pastor, loud, obnoxious, yes, all fits together. Um, and, and he came up to me and he said, uh, our youth group is going on a trip down to the beach in San Diego, and why would you not come with us? And I was like, well, it never occurred to me to come to you, and I really have no interest. And I think he saw that he was sort of losing me, and he said, it would be so great if you came because we have tons of girls going and hardly any guys. (laughs) And really, that's the only thing I remember that totally turned the tide, and I signed up. And I remember driving down there thinking, what have I gotten myself into? That's probably a cult. You know, I'm going to be kidnapped. I'm going to be across the border in Mexico before I know it. You know, and anyway, but we got down to this very ugly beach in San Diego. And as we came out, the next three days literally changed my life forever. I would have never guessed it. But uh, one of the things that I noticed is the kids, and they were from two different high schools, sort of competing high schools, uh, two different youth groups. And um, they loved each other. And I'd never been around people that loved each other like the people on this trip loved each other. And that had a profound impact on me. I I felt very included, even though they didn't really know me. The other thing is I noticed that there really seemed to sort of be a, a purpose to the people's lives, especially to our leaders. And there was really this sense that there was kind of a direction that life can go and should go. And my Life was pretty aimless. I wanted to play varsity football, and that was about it. And, and I just remember sort of feeling like these people sort of have, like, a clue about life. And that was very compelling to me. And uh, one night before the trip was over, a guy got up and spoke and sort of presented what it meant to be a Christian. And he said, I want you to go out onto the beach by yourself, and you can either talk to yourself or you can talk to God, but those are the only two people that are out there. And I remember becoming a Christian. 
and I didn't even totally know what I was doing. And if you had asked me on that night, are you making a life-changing decision, I would have said, no, I don't think so. But I do like this group. And if this is the ticket into this group, then I'm cool with that. But what I thought and took kind of lightly, God took very seriously. And he sort of grabbed me at that point. And I stepped into a youth group that was really quite amazing. Uh, many of the kids in our school were impacted by this youth group. Uh, hundreds of kids in a school that only had 1,000 people were impacted by this youth group. Uh, we hung out all the time. It wasn't just on youth group night or church or whatever. We hung out all the time. I remember learning how to study the Bible and learning all kinds of new things. And we would go and help people and do things that made me feel really good about who I was and what I was doing. It was kind of an amazing thing. And it just sort of captured my whole life. Well, eventually, it came to the point where somebody said to me, you know, if you're a Christian, you need to go to church. And I said, well, I go to youth group. And they said, no, no, you need to go to church. And so I was like, all right, well, I'll go to church. If that's what Christians do, I'll go to church. And I showed up to church, and this is what our church literally looks like. Looked like. You have the picture? There we are. That is a cool church. That's down in Laguna Beach, and I loved it. It had a cannon and a missile. And for a teenage boy, I thought, I don't know what happens in church, but I can tell you one thing. It's cool. It's cool if they have a cannon and a missile in front. And so I went into the church all kinds of excited about this is going to be awesome. And much to my chagrin, the most exciting thing by far was the outside of the church. Because we got on the inside of the church, and I learned after coming week after week that there was about 60 or 70 people who came, and uh, they were very nice people, and they were dressed very nicely. And after a while, I knew exactly how we would go through the service. There would be some songs that I didn't quite know and were sort of sung like hundreds of years ago, and and a person who kind of played the piano sort of hit most of the keys right. And we would go through singing these songs. And then a guy would stand up. And uh, at that time, the King James Bible ruled. Uh, I sort of date myself, don't I? But anyway, we had a King James. And so these and thous and thys. And I never knew what he was talking about. And he'd stand up and talk for a while and, and sit down. And, and, you know, that was sort of it. And you know what? Here was, here was the thing. What I would have never guessed. The overwhelming uh, word that I used to describe that experience was boring. It was just boring. I mean, you'd come in and you'd wait for it to get over. And there was such a difference between my youth group experience and my church experience. And here's how I would say it was different. One, the church had become an institution. And my youth group was a movement. And it made all the difference in my experience of what happened there. So here's what I want to do with our remaining time. I want to look and see what did Jesus want the church to be? What was Jesus' idea when he started the church? And if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open to Matthew 16. And I just want to tell you this since this is our first day. Uh, we are one of those churches that use these things. Um, and I, I sort of say that tongue-in-cheek, but actually I've been part of churches before where everything we put up is on the screen, so people don't really bring their Bibles. We won't put everything on the screen. We'll put some things on the screen, but I really want you to bring your Bible. 
And uh, for those of you that are snickering at my Bible because it looks a little feminine, uh, I just want to tell you, real men will carry their wives' Bibles. I just want to say that, and that's okay. All right, so turn to Matthew 16. And this is the first time that church is used in the whole Bible. And Jesus only used the word church twice. We're going to look at the first time that he used it. And he actually helps us understand what the church is going to be all about. Now, let me just set this up. Jesus is with uh, his people, uh, the disciples. And at one point, he asks this really kind of strange question, and a question that I wouldn't recommend. Our lights just went out. A question I wouldn't necessarily recommend to you. And we're going to keep going like this is not a big deal because this is a new place. And uh, so, anyway, he, um, he says, what are people saying about, thank you, what are people saying about me? What are people saying, just people on the street, what's the word on the street about me? And they sort of pipe up and they say, well, some people think you're John the Baptist back from the dead. Some people think you're a prophet, Old Testament prophet back from the dead. And Jesus is sort of taking it all in. And then he says, well, well who do you think that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes up because he was sort of the leader of the group. And he says, I'll tell you what people are saying, or I'll tell you what I think. And uh, if you turn in your Bibles, again, to Matthew 16, let me grab that. He said this, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, That may not mean a lot to us because that had a lot of meaning back then. But let me just sort of break this down for you. He is basically calling Jesus the Messiah. The Messiah was a Jewish figure that people were expecting who was going to save the people. Now, this was a very nationalistic salvation. In other words, it was was supposed to be a king that would come in and help the Jews push Rome off of them and get them back established as an autonomous nation. And so... Uh, But the Messiah was something that people were expecting, and it was a big deal. Whoever the Messiah was was a big deal. And so Peter makes the statement, you are the Messiah. You are the Savior of the people. And then he makes this other statement, uh, you are the Son of the living God. And here, too, uh, in both cases, Peter doesn't actually know totally what he's talking about. In other words, he has misconceptions about what these positions are, Uh, but The thing that is pointed out is though he may not understand Jesus as the son of God, as in God incarnate, God in the flesh, some of the things that we know from theology over 2,000 years, uh, here is what he's saying. You are connected with a God that is alive and dynamic. It is not a God who is an idol. It's not a God that's just carved into stones. It's not a God that just sort of goes around in cults. It is a God that actually interacts with people, is alive and powerful and very personal. And so Peter makes this expression, and Jesus immediately says, Bing! Good answer, Peter. That's exactly right. Now, Peter, you don't totally understand what you're talking about, but that is the right response to who I am. And in fact, Jesus goes so far as to say, and you didn't even figure it out, Peter. God revealed that to you. And in fact, if you read down, and if you have your Bibles, you can do it, you'll see that Peter gets in trouble right away because he totally lames out about three verses later, and Jesus has to kind of rebuke him. But Peter gets that right. And here's the deal. Jesus is basically saying, that is the foundation statement for my church. That's the most important thing you can know about the church is the identity of who I am. So it continues to move out, and uh, Jesus goes on, 
And he says this uh, in response to what Peter says. He says in verse 18, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, there's a lot of controversy about that verse, and I don't want to get into the controversy about Peter's role in the church, other than to say Jesus is clearly making a statement that Peter will have a leadership role in the church. And we find out, and we'll talk about it in a second, that's absolutely true. Peter does take a leadership role in the church. But the thing that is actually more important, I think, is he uses this word church for the first time. He, he, uh, and let me just, we're, we're going to get deep just for a second, but I want to actually give you the Greek word for church here. Uh, it is ekklesia, ekklesia. Let's say that together on three. One, two, three. Ecclesia. And so now you can tell people, yes, I go to a church where they teach out of the Greek New Testament, yes, I am smart. Okay, so ecclesia. Now this word for church, let me tell you exactly what it meant. The word ecclesia did not mean church building, did not mean church service, did not mean hierarchy, did not mean Vatican. It meant gathering. It meant a group. In fact, it wasn't even religious necessarily. It meant community. It meant a group of people that come together. Ecclesia. Just a group of people that come together. So here's the most important part. It isn't that Jesus says that I'm going to build my church. He says that I'm going to build my church. That's actually the thing that's important. That's what's going to distinguish it. It's not just a gathering of people. It's my gathering of people. It's the people that gather in my name, the way that Tim was singing, in Christ. It's the people that gather around me, around my identity, around what I'm going to do, around a message that comes from me. That's really what it means. You are my ecclesia. And then he makes this really staggering statement, and he says the gates of Hades will not be able to take it down. And just so you're clear, because sometimes you read uh, and some of your versions of your Bible may say the gates of hell. Uh, gates of Hades actually means something different. It's the gates of death. In other words, what it's saying here is that this church will never die. This church will go on forever and ever and ever. Nothing is going to be able to stop this church. And uh, we know there's times when the church has not shined. There's the times when the church has been sort of abysmal. There's times when the church has become very small. But Jesus here is saying the church will never die out. There is no power on earth that can stop the church, stop my ecclesia. Nothing will stop it. And in fact, Jesus goes on to say there will be an incredible power unleashed in this ecclesia. And he says he does this thing with keys and what's loosed on heaven will be, you know, loosed on earth and kind of, and I don't even know what all that means, so I'm not going to try to tell you what that means. Get a smarter teacher to figure that out with you. But I will tell you this, what he is saying is that this church is going to be powerful. This church is going to make a difference. This church, my ecclesia, is going to change the world. Then Jesus does a very interesting thing. At that point in his ministry, from that day forward, it says that he changes his message. After he introduces the ecclesia, here is the message that he starts giving. He says, from that time on, verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, all at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, 
and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, this is super important because what Jesus is basically going to say is there is an event that's coming up that's going to be a defining moment in the history of my ecclesia, and it's going to revolve around three days that are going to be unlike any other three days. I am going to be captured. I am going to suffer. And it is not only physical suffering here. In fact, the suffering actually is much more in sort of a spiritual way of Jesus suffering in our place. And I'm eventually going to be killed. And then I'm going to rise to life. I'm going to be raised back up. And that is going to be quite an event. It's going to mean that those people that follow me are going to follow something that this world has never, ever seen before and never will see again because nobody else has pulled that off. Nobody else has suffered on behalf of the world. Nobody else has died for sin. Nobody else was raised from the dead. And Jesus says, that's the message now. It is a message that comes out of an event And really what Jesus is going to say, and this is going to cause a movement. And when he thought ecclesia, I can tell you this, he never thought about a building. He never thought about a time of the week. He never thought about an institution. He never thought, you know, sort of about this whole denominational system. That was not in Jesus' mind. And I'm not saying that any of those things are bad. I'm just saying that's not what he thought about. He thought about a group of people that witnessed or participated or believed in a certain event and then were compelled to tell people about this event and that event actually changed the way that they lived, that they became different people because of the event and it caused a movement that would change the world. Now, a really interesting thing happened. About 300 years later, not even that, Uh, as the church was starting to sort of develop, uh, it started to transition and it started to adopt a new thought about what the church was. And so up in what is now Germany, the Goths coined a word. And uh, the word, we'll bring it up onto the screen here, is, I won't even try to say it in German, but it's something like Kirch. Okay, why don't we say that on three? One, two, three. Kirch. You have to sort of get that gutter like that. Okay, so let's try it again. One, two, three. Kirch. Okay, now wipe off the back of your neighbor who's in front of you. You just spit on him. Okay, so Kirch. Okay, now here's what the definition of Kirch was. It was the Lord's house. And really what it meant was it's a building. And you can see that that was the farthest thing from Jesus' mind, that the ecclesia was a building. But all of a sudden, that sprung up and people started to believe You know, the church is just a building. And whoever controls the building controls the people in the building. And whoever controls the people in the building, if there's a lot of people that come to those buildings, has a lot of control in this world. And the whole idea of what the church was started to shift. And there were sort of these competing views of it. And when you think of all the negative things that the church has done down through history, it's primarily because we adopted the wrong view of what ecclesia is. Because the ecclesia was always meant to be a gathering of people, not a church building, around uh, a message. And uh, the message was not supposed to be sort of a predictable church service liturgy kind of thing where all the nice people go and, 
and do their church thing and then leave never to think about it again until they come back the next week to start a movement. You know, a movement, not a service. But there was these competing views. Now, when we're talking then about what we want to be, I just want to say, we're not here to have another church, okay? And I'm tired of saying that. We're not here to do that anymore. And you can tell church comes from that word. We're not here to do that. We are here for a movement. We are planted in Huntington Beach so that we can be close to the people that live here and the people that live in Fountain Valley and Westminster and Garden Grove and Seal Beach and the areas that that lie right around here so that we can have an impact the way God has had an impact in our life. We are here to create a movement. We are here to show by our lives and by our message that there really is a difference, that there really is a Messiah, a son of the living God that wants to know them. Well, fast forward, because this is in Jesus' ministry. Then Jesus, the events happen that Jesus predicts, and he suffers and he dies and he rises from the dead, And then he's up, and he actually is appearing to people as a risen Savior. I mean, how weird is that? We sort of give 2,000 years of, oh, yeah, well, that's not that weird because that happened 2,000 years ago. Well, how weird would that be if that happened today? And that, for them, it was today. So he appears for 40 days. And then we read at the beginning of the book of Acts. So in your Bibles, turn over to Acts chapter 1. And he has gathered his people together for the last time before he's going to ascend into heaven, go back up into heaven. And there's about 100 people there. So we have a lot more people here than were there that day. And Jesus says these words to them. He says, uh, he gathered them together and he asked, and they asked him, Lord, um, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set by his own authority. And basically, here's what they're saying. They're saying, now you promised that basically things are going to get a lot better around here and God's going to come in power and everything's going to change. So we're asking, is that right now? And they're sort of saying, we don't want to do anything, Jesus. We just want you to take care of this. I mean, you're kind of a cool guy because not too many people can die and rise from the dead. So we're in your corner. You've got all kinds of power. We want you to do that trick and kind of control the whole situation here in the world. And Jesus says, no. He said, that's not the plan. So let me tell you the plan. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 8, but you, you, not me, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus is sort of pointing this out. He said, okay, you just saw an event that was sort of incredible, an event that's never happened in the world before. Somebody suffered for people died on a cross as a sacrificial death, although they don't quite understand that, but here's something they can understand, and then rose from the dead. And you can understand that, because that doesn't happen every day. And I'm standing here as proof that this really happened. And he said, you are the witnesses. You are the ones to tell people about this. You are the ones to let everyone in on what's happening here. And then he says, and you're going to tell people in Jerusalem. Now, they're in Jerusalem, so they'll go, okay, can handle Jerusalem. And Judea, that's sort of like the county of Jerusalem. 
okay, we can handle Judea. And Samaria, Jesus, we don't even like going to Samaria because that was the next county that they did not like. And then to the ends of the earth. And they're like, Jesus, do you even know how big that is? And to which Jesus could have said, do you even know how big that is? I know, I made it. Yeah, I know how big that is. And Jesus said, that's how powerful this movement is going to become. It's going to actually spread around the whole globe. Now, they still could not have understood, but he based it all on, and you're going to have this power, a power that comes from the Holy Spirit. So now, fast forward 10 days from that moment. This is about two months after Jesus has died, 50 days, actually, 50 days after Jesus died and rose again. So it's all, you know, new history. And they're sitting in an upper room, probably the same upper room that Jesus was in when he did the Last Supper with his disciples. He's sitting in the upper room, and all of a sudden something major happens. It says the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And there's sort of, it comes in kind of a dramatic way, which is not the way that it typically does that, but God's trying to make a point. And the Holy Spirit comes on in all this power. And as the Holy Spirit comes on, they go out of the building and all of the disciples start speaking to people. Now, this is a day of Pentecost. It's a Jewish festival. And there's people from all over the world there that speak all different languages and all of a sudden, these Galileans, these men from Galilee, start talking to them, and they can understand them. They are able to speak in languages that they've never learned before. And they're like, whoa, is this cool? It's sort of like when I speak Spanish, and uh, the way that I speak Spanish is I just put an A or an O on the end of any English word and think that this should work. And we were just down in Rojo Gomez. And so, you know, I was like, I'm a hungry O. Let's go get some lunch A. And I, they still didn't understand me because I did not have that Holy Spirit thing working for me on it. But in this case, the Holy Spirit is empowering them to speak in languages that they've never learned. And the Holy Spirit doesn't always do that. But the Holy Spirit's basically saying, we're going to help you. going to help you with this message, with testifying. And so there's a buzz in Jerusalem and people are gathering around and they're like, what's going on? And all of a sudden they know something is happening. And Peter, we know that Peter was sort of a frustrated preacher at this point because he stands up and he goes, I think it's time for a message. And so he stands up and he gives the very first message that the church has ever heard. And it's, it's chronicled in the books of Acts chapter 2. And he basically goes through, he, he shows in the Old Testament how something like this was going to happen. And then I just want to point out how this thing ends, how, how this message ends. There's never been the ending of a message like this. I'd love to see it happen today. Probably it's not going to happen today the way it happened for Peter. But Peter gets to the end of his message, and uh, basically this is what happens. He says, uh, first he says, uh, in verse 22, that's not up on the screen, so if you have your Bibles or just follow along, he says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, uh, as you yourselves know. In other words, he's saying, listen, he only died two months ago. So a lot of you that are standing here today know exactly who I'm talking about when I talk about Jesus. You were there when he healed people. You were there when he said spectacular things. A lot of you can relate to exactly what I'm talking about right now. He goes on to say, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. And you can just picture, probably, people are like, whoa, we weren't expecting to be guilted out here. 
And Peter's just going after it. He's saying, listen, a lot of you in this crowd were actually there, and you were the ones yelling, crucify him. You were the ones. Maybe even some of you were involved in the trial that got Jesus put to death. Some of you may even be the soldiers that were there that actually drove the nails through his hands. You were the ones that put him to death. And so now everybody is on the edge of their seat because Peter is going for it at this point. And then he says this in verse 32, skip down. It says, God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And the point that Peter is making is he's saying, it was not that long ago that Jesus was killed. And if you're here today, you know that he's risen. Because if he's not risen, somebody's going to just say, well, let's walk over to his tomb. His body is still there. And that tomb is empty. It's a very powerful thing. And Peter's just saying, listen, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. You already know. We're just here to tell you who Jesus is. We're here to tell you the message that surrounds this event. And so somebody shouts out from the crowd and says, well, then what should we do? What should we do? And Peter says, you should attend church regularly. He doesn't say that. Read the story. He doesn't say that. Here's what he says. He says this. He says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now, this is a a staggering thing. He says, all right, here's, here's the response. If you want to be in the ecclesia, of Jesus. If you want to be in his gathering, you will repent, you will turn from the ways you're going, you will embrace God. You will embrace this event where Jesus suffered for you and died in your place and rose again, which means he's alive today, which means the spirit is working today. He's dynamic, he's personal. You will believe in that. You will tell that story to other people. You will demonstrate it with your life. And you will join a movement to change the world. And then he says, and this is not just for you. This is not just a Jerusalem thing. This is not just a Jewish thing. This is for those who are far off. And do you know who those who are far off are? Who do you think? Yeah, it's us. It's us. We were far off. We live like 2,000 years later. We live halfway around the world. Jesus was thinking about us. Peter was saying, it's for people that aren't even born now, that don't speak our language, who are in a country that hasn't even been discovered yet. It's for those who are far off and for their children. If you've got children that are over in the next building, for your children. And for their children is for those who are far. This movement is going to impact people, Peter says, that aren't even here today. And that's us. 
That is what we're starting here today. We are joining in that movement. Uh, uh, and we aren't starting it, actually. I mean, it's been going for 2,000 years. We're stepping into that movement. That's what we're doing here. This is not about a service time at 9.30, although there's nothing wrong with that, and we'll come together to support each other and learn. And, and it's not just about small groups, although we'll have small groups and so forth. Uh, it, isn't, it isn't just about doing church kinds of things. It's about being Jesus' people, his gathering, his community. It's about working in this community to change it. And I just want to tell you, there are people today that are sitting in their homes that the farthest thought from their mind is church or what we're doing here today. For them, Jesus Christ is a swear word and nothing else at this point. And I want to tell you that they are the ones now who are far off. They are the ones that we're going after. It's the reason we're here and not in Irvine. It isn't so it's more convenient for you. It's not so you don't have to drive 20 minutes down the road. It's because people who are far off need us here. And they need a place that's convenient to invite them because they won't drive down to Irvine. We are here to change Huntington Beach and Fountain Valley and the areas that are around, not through our strength, but through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus' movement works in. That is why we're here. So I want to pray for us as we launch into Huntington Beach, as we launch as a church, as Jesus' ecclesia. Uh, the band's going to come back up so that we can finish with a little bit of worship. And I just want to tell you, I can't think of a more exciting thing for me to be part of than to do this with you. So let's pray. Lord, we are so glad that when you reached into history 2,000 years ago and touched a small group of people and called them your ecclesia, that you were not thinking that they would be the end-all, be-all, that they would not be the end-users, but rather they would launch a movement that would impact and grow throughout the world so that finally, 2,000 years later, halfway around the world, we sit in a theater that was built for purposes way other than to talk about you. And your message comes through loud and clear. And we are grateful for that. And I pray that we as a group, we as a community, will understand not only the great privilege we have and what you've done for us, but the responsibility we have to reach those who are far off those people that we work with and go to school with and live next to, the ones whose kids play soccer with our kids, the ones who annoy us at times, the ones who seem so disinterested. They are far off. And Lord, we are here so that your spirit, your love, your truth can work through us to reach them. And we are grateful for that. We will depend on you as we move with you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mariner's Church in Huntington Beach. For more information about Mariner's, visit www.marinerschurch.org.